0: Only then that which is nameless comes into being.
1: This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Virtue has nothing whatsoever to do with society and its so called morality. Virtue can come about only when there is psychological order within oneself. Hello and welcome to episode 207 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast features carefully selected clips from our extensive archives. The aim is to represent different aspects of Krishnamurti's radical approach to many of the issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is Virtue. Upcoming themes are Division, Evolution and Desire. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks and discussions. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features a large collection of specially selected clips, you can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on your podcast app, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on virtue has four sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Sanan, 1962 titled, Respectability Is Not Virtue.
0: I would like, if I may, to discuss this morning, what is virtue? But to go into it very deeply, one has to consider influence the social significance of virtue and authority and aloneness. All these things are implied in that word virtue. So one has to consider first this whole question of social influence, how we are shaped by the sociological structure and as well as psychological structure of society. We are the way we think, the way we act the – re- the, if I may use that word which we talked about the other day, responsibility – are all the results of the sociological and psychological structure of society. We are not separate from society, psychologically. Whatever we think, whatever our reactions, thoughts are the result of our conditioning, Psychological conditioning, whose structure is society, and most of us, though we are educated in colleges, schools and so on, to acquire certain technological knowledge in order to have a good living, we are left to the mercy of society. Our character is shaped by society. Our religious ideas are conditioned by society, the culture in which we are born. So the influence of society shapes our whole being. We are either Catholic, Jews, Protestants, Hindus and all the rest of us with their dogmas, beliefs and superstitions, and within that pattern we cultivate what we call moral values. And we are influenced by everything by the food, the clothes, the climate, the newspaper, the magazines, the books, the radio, the whole structure of influence, consciously or unconsciously. And without understanding or being aware totally of this influence, which is quite penetrating, which is quite imminent and constant, moral or the significance of virtue loses its meaning. Then we merely follow a pattern which becomes respectable, and respectability is not virtue. On the contrary, respectability is a horror, which has nothing whatsoever to do with, with that world which I call virtue, into which I shall go presently. So. One has to be aware if one one really wants to understand the extraordinary virility and the vitality and the strength of virtue, one has to understand this influence. Not only The conscious influence, the influence that we receive consciously, of which we are aware, but also of the unconscious receptivity of influence. And that requires much more understanding, much greater awareness, and whether it is at all possible to be free of influence, of the husband, and of the wife, of the society, of the children, of everything about us. Is it at all possible to be free of that extraordinary, insistent, Influence that is going on all the time through propaganda, <coughs> through books, through newspapers. If we say it is not at all possible, then the matter ends there. Then there is no further inquiry, and all virtue then becomes merely imitation, conforming to a pattern. But if one inquires more deeply, is it possible to be free of influence, psychological influence of society, its moralities, its responsibilities, its values? Its insistent demand that the individual shall conform to the pattern. And the conformity to that pattern is called morality. And, a mo- and in a moral person who is one who deviates from that pattern, According to society, surely one has to be free from the psychological structure of society with its changing moralities and with its acceptance of a pattern which it calls ethical. One has to be aware of this whole structure, both consciously as well as unconsciously. And it's much more difficult to be aware unconsciously, because consciously one can reject most people do. shrug their shoulders and put aside the moral structure of society. But unconsciously, the influence not only of the present century, but also of the immense past with all its influence, with all its propaganda, with its tradition, with its pattern, embedded in the unconscious.
1: The second extract is from the fourth talk in Paris, 1965, titled, Order, Virtue and Freedom.
0: Our life is pretty shallow. Rather empty, dull. And the petty little mind, trying to divine the mysterious, the unknowable, obviously creates an image of itself, of its own pettiness. (coughs) And so, The question is, whether a little mind, the mind that is full of worry, despair, anxious, striving to change itself, to be something, that petty little mind, can it transform itself and open wide horizons and break through its own limitations, because unless it does, sanity becomes almost impossible. And sanity is order. not only outwardly, but inwardly, in, inside the skin, as it were. And it matters a great deal how this order is brought about, because most of us are very disorderly inwardly, you may have a great deal of knowledge orderly information, outward clarity, argument, (coughs) purpose. But inwardly most of us are confused, in conflict, and that's seen by the clever writers, the more they are in contradiction within themselves, the greater they strain. And that tension, if they have a gift, produces all kinds of literature. But it is basically a sick mind. And most of us, I am afraid, are confused. There is no clarity. This clarity can only be discovered not through another, not by following some authority or particular system of thought, ancient or modern. So this clarity can only be found, which is order. Therefore, which is virtue. Because order, in its ultimate subtle sense, is virtue. Not the morality which society imposes, which is not morality at all. The social morality is immorality. Because it breeds every form of contradiction, every form of ambition, competition. Society, by its very nature, whether in the communist world or in the Western world, does breed an outward social conformity called morality. But such morality, if one goes into it very deeply, is immoral. But we are talking of a virtue which has nothing whatsoever to do with society and its morality. Virtue can only come about when there is psychological order within oneself. That is, when we understand the whole social structure, the psychological structure of society of which we are, then in that understanding of that, there is order. And therefore, that order brings about virtue. And without that virtue, mind cannot possibly have clarity, and therefore sanity and virtue go together. And I think it's very important to understand this, because for most of us, Virtue is a very tiresome thing, rather silly, old fashioned. It is without much significance, especially in the modern world. Not that we are advocating immorality or this superficial morality, but we are inquiring together, I hope. In today's question of what is true virtue. Because without orderliness, that is, as one keeps a room orderly, tidy, neat, clean. And you do this every day. And so, inward order demands much more attention, much more awareness of what is taking place inwardly. being aware of all the thoughts and feelings, the the open and the hidden secret desires and pursuits. And out of that comes order, which is virtue. And if one inquires into virtue still more, one says it is not a thing that you have it permanently. <coughs> and that's the beauty of virtue. You cannot say, I have learned what it is to be virtuous, and it's over. Virtue is not a continuous phenomenon. Virtue, which is order, is from moment to moment and therefore there is freedom in virtue and not a revolt. As we pointed out the other day. Con- revolt is not freedom. <coughs> revolt is still within the pattern of society. And freedom <coughs> is outside the mold of society. The mold of society is psychological. which is the envy, the greed, the ambition, the various conflicts of which we are. Because we are, soci- we are the society which we have made. And if one is not free from it, there is, can be possibly no order. And so virtue is of the highest importance because it, it brings freedom. And one must be free. That's what most people don't want. They may want political freedom to vote to some, for some politician. But that's not freedom, or the nationalistic freedom. But freedom is something entirely different. And as most of us do not want it inwardly, in the deep sense of that word, which implies that we stand completely alone. without a guide, without a system, without following, without authority. And that requires enormous order within oneself. Most of us want to lean on somebody, if it is not a person, then it is an idea, a belief, a way of conduct, a pattern set out by the society, by some leader or by some spiritual person or by oneself. So most of us accept authority. I think here one must be clear that The following of law, of a country, of a group, or whatever it is, is not the following of authority. What we are talking about as authority is the fear of being alone, of standing on one's own feet. And not looking to anyone for the way of our own life, for our conduct, for inward clarity. Because authority breeds contempt, authority breeds enmity, and the division between man and man. A man who seeks truth has no authority of any kind, at any time. And that's one of the most difficult things to grasp and to be free of, not only in the spiritual Western world, but also in the East, because we think somebody else will bring about order in our life—a savior, a master, a, a spiritual teacher, and all that business—which is absolutely absurd. It's only way. Through our own clarity, investigation, awareness, attention, we begin to learn all about ourselves. And out of that learning, out of that understanding, comes freedom, and therefore order, and therefore virtue.
1: third extract is from the fifth talk in New York, 1966 titled Virtue Has No Authority
0: Is there any outside authority outside agency as God as an idea a belief Can any outside agency bring about this transformation? That's one issue. Second, can any experience, through any means, bring about this total revolution in the psyche? So will authority as an idea, as grace, as God and so on, will that bring about change? Will authority transform the human mind? I think this is very important to understand, because to us authority is very important. Though one may revolt against authority, we set up our own authority. And we conform to that authority. Little long hair, and so on, so on, so on. So there is the authority of law, which one obviously must accept. Then that is the author- psychological authority, the authority of one who knows, as the priest. And nobody bothers about the priest nowadays, at least the so-called intellectual, fairly clear-thinking people don't care about the priest, the church and all their inventions. But they have their own authority, which is the authority of the intellect, reason, or knowledge, and they follow that authority. And a man afraid uncertain, not clear in, the, in his activities, in his life. He wants some authority to tell him what to do – the authority of the analyst, the book, or the latest fad. So can the mind be free from authority, which means free from fear, so that it is no longer capable of following? and therefore putting an end to imitation, which becomes mechanical. After all, virtue, ethics, is not a repetition of what is good. The moment it becomes mechanical, it ceases to be virtue. Virtue is something that must be from moment to moment, like humility. You cannot cultivate humility, and a mind that has no humility is incapable of learning. So virtue has no authority. The social morality is no morality at all, it is immoral. Because it admits competition, greed, ambition. And therefore an, society is encouraging immorality. But virtue is something that transcends memory. But yet without virtue there is no order. And order is not according to a pattern, according to a formula. And the mind that follows a formula through disciplining itself to achieve virtue creates for itself the problems of immorality. So, authority, whether it is an external authority which which the mind objectifies apart from the law as God, as moral, and so on, that authority becomes destructive when the mind. is seeking or understanding what is real virtue. And we have our own authority as experience, as knowledge, which we are trying to follow. And so there is this constant repetition, imitation, which we all know. So authority – we are talking of psychological authority, not the authority of law, the policeman who keeps order. but The psychological authority, which each one has, becomes destructive of virtue, because virtue is something that is living, moving, as you cannot possibly cultivate humility, as you cannot possibly cultivate love, virtue cannot be cultivated. And there is great beauty in that, therefore virtue is non-mechanical. And without virtue there is no foundation. for clear thinking. You know that it brings in a problem of discipline. For most of us discipline is suppression, imitation, adjustment, conformity. And therefore there is a conflict all the time. But there is a discipline which is not suppression, which is not control, which is not adjustment. That discipline comes when to see clearly becomes imperative. Look, we are confused, and out of that confusion we act, which only increases more confusion. But realizing that we are confused, to do not to act demands great discipline in itself. Look, sir, to see a flower demands a great deal of attention. If you really want to look at a flower, at a tree, or at your neighbor, or your wife, or your husband, you have to look. And you cannot look if Thought interferes with that look, and you realise that. One sees that fact. The very observation of that fact demands discipline. There is no imposition of a mind that says, I must be orderly, disciplined to look. And there is the authority, psychological authority that dema- the psyche that demands authority to, to guide itself, to follow, to do the right thing. Such an authority ends all virtue and without virtue. You cannot possibly think clearly, live a life of tremendous sensitivity and activity.
1: The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's eighth talk in Bombay, 1962, titled, The Simplicity of Virtue.
0: And so, to inquire into the nature of the religious mind, that state of mind which is free from this conflict of the self, We must inquire into simplicity to find out what it is to be simple. Not the idea of simplicity, not the ideal of simplicity, not the symbol of simplicity, but the actual state of a mind that is really simple. (laughs) I mean by that word to face every fact of every day and every minute without any complexity, to look at facts without the complex process of thought, to look at facts without ideation, without ideals. And such simplicity, not in mere clothes, not the loincloth and one meal a day and the long beard or clean shaven face, but the simplicity that has no conflict, simplicity that has precision when it is, has to think. that has no illusion, that has no future, the fact, and only the fact, and nothing else but the fact, and such a mind, such an approach to life does bring does bring about an extraordinary sense of joy. <laughs> because very few of us are happy naturally, easily, spontaneously. We are so complex. We have so many problems. Everything we touch either by the hand or by the mind, becomes ugly. And when something becomes ugly, crude, vulgar, there is no sensitivity, and therefore there is no appreciation of things as they are. It is only in the understanding of things as they are, actually facing things as they are, out of that comprehension there is revolution. The revolution is not brought about according to a pattern of someone else, of the economist, of the reformer, of the politician. But the revolution of which we are talking about comes into being when you can see the fact and act according to that fact from moment to moment, and in so acting you will find out of that simplicity, there is an extraordinary sense of not only a relief, a sense of unburdening, but out of that there comes a deep joy. Because without joy, without the spark, without a song in one's heart, life becomes so utterly empty you may be very clever you may have big houses you may occupy very important position you may influence thousand people through newspapers but behind that facade of words position prestige and power there is a hollowness. And such a mind is not a creative mind. And it is important for the individual, for each one of us, to be to have this sense of unending joy. It does come, not because you you have got a job, not because you are happily married or unhappily married – it has no reason. And there is that joy, and you can only come to it darkly, unknowingly. When you understand the simplicity of virtue, (laughs) virtue is not something to be striven after. Then it ceases to be virtue, when a man who is vain practices humility, then that humility is the essence of vanity. But virtue is order, just to have order in one's mind. And you cannot have order if it is merely a pattern. After the sanction of society. If it is merely a practice, a habit, then the mind is made dull. And a dull mind is not a virtuous mind. It may have excellent habits, it may never get angry. It may be self-righteous and comply to the commands of society, but such a mind is not a sensitive mind and therefore not a virtuous mind. Do please listen to this, not that you are certainly going to become virtuous. You will suddenly, on the instant, be virtuous, which is not after the pattern of an ugly, corrupting society, but you will have order and space in that order, because that order brings about efficiency. It is the efficient mind, efficient thought that has not conflict, that is a virtuous mind that lives virtuously, because virtue, which is the result of conflict, which is the result of constant striving which is the battle of the opposites. Such a mind not only becomes insensitive but is incapable of swift flight, and it is only the efficient mind that is capable of rapidity, that sees things in in a flash. For truth is perceived only in a flash, truth has no continuity. What has continuity is of time, and what has time has no space, and it is only… A mind that has space can see in a flash what is true. And it is only the virtuous mind that has space. And therefore, only such a mind that can see the immensity, that which is eternal in a flash. Because virtue is not the outcome of memory. If virtue is the outcome of memory, then virtue is a reaction to memory – reaction is a reflex of memory. And such virtue as is recognised by society, by religious orders, by groups, such virtue does breed conflict, and therefore such a mind is not a simple mind. You know the world is becoming more and more complex. Your relationship with another is getting more and more complex, not simpler. And the complexity of life can only be understood when you approach it very simply. Really, very, very simply. Life is not merely your daily existence going to the office, the quarrels with your wife and with your husband, the nagging, the misery, the conflict of everyday existence. But life includes not only the past, which projects uh, as the future, but life also includes death. Life includes happiness, and life also includes something beyond. beyond time, beyond thought, beyond feeling. And to comprehend this enormous totality of life, not your little corner of existence, not the little place on the earth which you call your country. nor the little temple built by hand which has no meaning. But life is this extraordinary thing, a total thing, in which all this is included. And without understanding the immensity of life in which every thing, every cry, every tear, Every song of every bird, the anguish, the misery, the travail of existence, without understanding the totality of it, you will never have a flash of that immensity. And to understand this extraordinary thing called life, with its sexual demands, with its ambitious drives, with its frustrations, old age, decline and deterioration. To understand life you must come to it very simply. And that's our difficulty, because we are such complex human beings, we have so many ideas, we are so clever, we are all second-hand people. There is nothing original in you, there is nothing original. And it is the originality that is, makes for simplicity, not eccentricity, not the capacity to invent, but the simplicity of a mind that has understood all the facets of life not the technical life, not the life of accumulated knowledge, because knowledge and technical knowledge can expand indefinitely. You will know more and more about Venus, about Mars, about the Moon, how to get there, but less and less about yourself, what you are. And what you are is the totality of life because you are miserable, unhappy, all the anguish, guilt and the agony that one goes through silently or openly. And if you don't understand yourself, and you can understand yourself who are a complex entity by approaching it very, very simply to look at yourself, and out of that perception, out of that seeing, out of that listening to yourself – not to your higher self, there is no higher self, there is no atman but the invention of the mind. They are all the result of thought, and thought is the response of the mind. Of the things that have been. And so, when you look at yourself every day in, in every world, feel your way into the depths of your own heart and mind, then out of that looking, seeing, listening, and hearing. There comes simplicity, and out of that simplicity there is joy, and that is virtue.